Welcome to the Self-Helpful Podcast. I'm Kevin Miller, and I'm not really interested in personal growth and personal development. What I'm actually interested in is being happy and having purpose and achieving things that fulfill me. To do that, however, I've got to actually become more aware and grow and evolve. So I work with the largest publishers and agencies to bring you the cutting edge experts on the subjects of self-help for in-depth conversations that help us, you and me, understand and engage in our own self-help. In this episode, we're talking about the hard things of life, the disappointments, losses, the problems, the daily things in a small way up to the bigger traumas and tragedies. So how do we, one, handle them with health and two, allow them to make the good things in life even better? This ends my series with Susan Cain and her book and message, Bittersweet. How Sorrow and Longing Make Us Whole. Susan was my guest in episodes 1020 and 1021, and now I talk with Tom Ziegler about it, and it's such an interesting discussion. Tom is, of course, son to Zig Ziegler. Zig is one of the most renowned names in inspiration and motivation worldwide and known for positivity. And I'm concerned that people think he was just Mr. You know, Lemonade Out of Lemons with books like See You at the Top, all-time bestsellers, and don't realize he also wrote Confessions of a Grieving Christian after his 46-year-old daughter Suzanne died in 1995 of a lung disease. This was at the height of Zig Ziglar's success, where he's, and he's influencing over 250 million people to embrace positive perspectives. But as you'll hear Tom Ziglar share, following his sister, Zig's daughter Suzanne's death, Zig walked his dog and cried near daily for two years. He didn't deny the sadness and the pain. And even after he made some recovery, he never forgot, but he also let it refine and strengthen him. And he stayed true to his faith and purpose. As you'll hear, this is much of our discussion, how our faith and purpose ultimately influence how we weather the daily disappointments and letdowns and the big traumas of life. Hey, if you find value from this self-helpful podcast, I hope you subscribe, leave a review about this episode. And the best thing you can do is talk with someone else, share something you heard or learn and discuss it together. So you both get benefit. You can always connect with me at kevinmiller.co. And next up, Tom Ziegler and I discuss the balance of the bitter and the sweet amongst life's trials. Hey, Tom, first off, I'm grateful that you got the memo on what shirt to wear today. Because uh, <laughs> you notice it? It looks like we're twins. I, I, I thought the same thing. Yeah, that's, that's, that's sweet. And I don't, we never talk about it. Uh, you know, you're, you're at your home office in, um, uh, well, in, in, in Plano, right? Or, yeah, home office, yeah, Plano, Texas. In Plano, just Texas, just outside of Dallas. And, uh, of course, I'm always coming from my... My studio, my office up in Woodland Park, Colorado, and here we are with matching shirts. And before we get into the topic too, though, the last time that you and I talked, it was on more of a health uh, related issue and you talked about the streak you were on and I want an update. What's the streak of, of exercise? 55. Wow. Okay. 55 days. So, okay. I actually had an interesting conversation with a couple of our coaches yesterday. I, you know, there's a famous story. How do you boil a bullfrog? Slowly. 
Right. You put them in uh, normal temperature water and you slowly turn the heat up and they get really comfortable and then they're boiled. Well, the same principle can be really positive. Right. And so my goal was to work out every day. And then what I did is I said, okay, I want to do 30 minutes. So 30 minutes is kind of my definition of a workout. Then I redefined that and I said, well, it doesn't have to be 30 continuous minutes. It just needs to be 30 minutes of intentional movement during the day. And then I wanted to build. So the first day I did five uh, squats with a medicine ball. Mm -hmm. And my goal was to add a little bit more every day, but never get sore. Nice. Nice. So I did five squats the first day, six the second, seven the third. Now I'm doing, I've done as many as 45 medicine ball squats. Awesome. I started doing planks. I did one plank of 20 seconds and then added up until I got to 30 and then started doing two sets of 20 and then added up, you know, two seconds a day on each until I got to three sets and then four sets. So today I did three sets of 60, 60 and 62 seconds each. Which that's significant for over three minutes. Um, and for those of you who don't know, planks are of the devil. They're satanic. I, I, they're demonic. I agree. <laughs> they, they really, they, they probably are my least favorite of all things. Even like, like burpees, man, those will kick your butt, but at least I'm doing something. But the plank by itself. Well, I just, I don't do it. Honestly, it's just terrible. I started doing push-ups again. My shoulder's really doing well, awesome. but I started off with two weeks of back exercise first yeah. to, get, to get that balance. And so now I'm on the next piece of it, which is I think 60 seconds is maybe a little too long for me to hold a plank just because of the way I feel my neck. Oh, yeah. So I think I'm going to back down on the length of the plank and maybe start trying to do a variety of planks. Yeah. So... Because I, mean, I, I really, the core is fantastic, but it's just that over that yeah. long-term stress on the neck. I'm not there yet. I just want people to hear that. I, I was just talking to somebody else about this two days, or I know maybe it was yesterday, not two days ago, and about, they were starting some exercise stuff. I said, man, just don't make it miserable. Don't make it miserable and don't hurt yourself. So many people go from zero to that and pretty quick, they, it's misery. They're going to, you know, they hurt themselves, whatever. And then you don't do it. And so what you're doing is a great picture of make it sustainable, whatever you got to do. So the boiling the frog analogy is I started off so slow, so reasonable that when I get done, I'm like, wow, that I did that. And then I think, okay, tomorrow I'm adding two seconds or I just recently upgraded the tension on my elliptical a little bit. Uh, And so every day I'm thinking of that extra thing to do. And there's something really intriguing about that keeps you in the game. Yeah. And then I really spent time. um, What is the streak? Because I'm going to travel. I'm traveling next week. So it's going to be impossible to do the same exact workout just a little bit more. And so that's why I defined it as 30 minutes of intentional movement. Yeah, I love that. Right. And you can do that anywhere. Even if I'm trapped in an airport for 14 hours, guess what? We can all figure out 30 minutes of intentional movement throughout a 14 hour day. Yep. <laughs> so you walk to the donut shop, then to Cinnabon and then to Starbucks and uh, then to Chili's. In between that, you get your movement in 
That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So there's got to be some stairs or something, right? <laughs> yeah. And then, and then a new thought came in, which is I was supposed to do an engagement on Tuesday, and the client had a couple of people on the group that was going to be in. It was a company deal. I get COVID, and so they postponed it. Which I'm very excited that they were postponing it rather than canceling, right, yeah. risk, canceling or risking exposure. And then I thought, well, if I, if I, if the doctor says you can't work out for five days because of X, does that really constitute breaking the streak? Nah. And so I now have put another definition of what the streak means. And that is if a doctor says, Tom, you can't, yeah, this is the only exercise you can do, or you can't do anything for a certain amount of days that I'm not going to allow that to break my streak. And yeah. so why am I doing this? Because when we have a setback in life, so many people just give up. They say, oh, I'm too sore. It's never going to work. Or I missed it today, so I'm not going to do it again. So I've really built this strategy to be like life. Yeah. And it's kind of fun. So 55, yeah. Well, good segue into talking about the realities of life to talk about uh, this issue that Susan Cain brought to us in her book, bittersweet, how sorrow and longing make us whole. And, uh, we would have just, uh, when this comes out, we'll just published or produced two shows with her. And the main one was on that topic. And, uh, man, that's a big one for coming from Zig Ziglar, coming from Ziglar corporation, coming from you, Tom Ziglar, which is one of the best known names for positivity, right? I mean, that's, you know, in that, that quote, positive thinking won't let you do anything, but it'll let you do everything better than negative thinking. I told her that Tom, I said, look, man, this is, you know, this is a legacy of Zig Ziglar that we're, that we're founded on here. And here's that quote. And she said, I totally agree with it. hundred percent agree with that quote, but it's not at the sake of denying negative feelings all together. And I want people to hear who know of Zig Ziglar, who know of the positivity guy, the optimism guy, um, again, that legacy, I bet a lot of them don't realize that he also published a book called Confessions of a Grieving Christian. So Zig Ziglar grieved, really? He, he really felt and embraced the hurt and the sadness. And that came uh, after 1995 when his daughter, your sister, uh, Susan, died. You would have been, what, 27-ish in 95? Did I do my math right? Something like that? Yeah, so I'd have been 30. So tell, I, I wanted to hear just to have people balance. So here you've got, again, one of the most influential people on the planet, especially around the topic of positivity, Zig Ziglar, and yet you saw him. And I want you, honestly, I'll be frank, to dispel the thought that he was just this Pollyanna, never had a negative thought, never dwelt on a negative thought. He just shunned it and rejected it, and he was just positivity. Obviously, by that book title, that's not the case. But tell us how you saw that balanced and how you address that today, Tom. Yeah, so um, just going through that, you know, pulling up the memories, um, you know, you never, as a parent, you never expect to lose a child or it's just not the natural order. Right. 
And even though my sister was an adult, she was 46, um, watching mom and dad go through that. And we're talking about dad. Uh, he was so hopeful all the way through it because the, the hope was she would get a heart and lung transplant. She had a lung disease. Um, and that didn't work out. The disease progressed far faster. And so when you see your, when you see your dad, I mean, his grief took him to his knees. I mean, it's and and then for two years, he would, every chance he got at home, he would walk with his dog Taffy and they would walk and he would walk with Taffy, pray and cry. <laughs> two years. Yeah. And I don't know if it was every day for two years or, you know, every day for a year and then often. Uh, and out of that, and then his healing started happening. Um, well, healing is a lifetime. I mean, I don't, you, you never forget. Right. And the thing is, is you don't want to, because if, if you have the right kind of relationship, a relationship that you would really grieve and mourn, why would you want to forget it? And so it's transformed, right? You, you trans. And so the memories over time become better and not as emotionally cutting, but, but he started writing confessions of a grieving Christian and he would just to relate his own experiences of people who tried to help uh, and did it very, very well. And others who couldn't help at all. Right. I mean, they made it worse thinking that they were bringing in support when actually they weren't. Um, and it's because, and dad realizes it's because they didn't know, right? It's like nobody walks into a situation of grief and says, hey, my job is to make it worse. They, it's just because they don't know. And so the journey of suffering and grief and sorrow and all those things, um, until you've been through it, you don't know how you're going to respond. And if you haven't had any counseling or education or a, a role model or anybody kind of sit down and say, Hey, this is, this is what it's like. And so the truth is it's different for everybody. I remember uh, one of the things that dad said is that um, you can never tell somebody, Hey, I know how you feel because let's say you have twin, you're, you have an identical twin and you lose a parent. They can't look at each other and say, hey, I know how you feel because each person had their own relationship with the person they lost. And everybody's personality is a little bit different and everybody's experience is, is different. And But you can say, hey, I'm here for you. Yeah. Right? And, and But when you've been through the sorrow and the grief, uh, it opens up in a completely different level of understanding and compassion for others. Well, and I, I want to hit on that, Tom. And I, I appreciate the word that you just said, a journey. Um, I don't think that came up in my talk with Susan. A journey of, so he went through a journey. You say two years, he went out just about every day. So his daughter dies, he goes out, walks a dog and cries. And then as you put it, that, you know, the healing began and he went forward, but he did embrace a journey. He can I, if we could say it, he allowed a journey. Now he obviously did not allow it to overcome him. I mean, how many 
if we look at, I mean, again, we're talking about sadness overall. Trauma happens to everybody every day in different formats. This was a big one. So to use that as an example, uh, how many people have something of that magnitude happen and it wrecks them. It wrecks marriages. It wrecks people. I don't know how many suicides have happened on the back end of a loved one dying. I'm sure they're uh, harsh numbers, but he went through a journey. He had healing and recovery, but again, didn't leave it. I would imagine that that sadness stuck with him the rest of his life. And as he's up there on stage, calling people to a positive mentality to make lemonade out of lemons, that part exists in him as well. He didn't just get over, get past that. And as you said, forget it. It then became, I, and to Susan's point, I would say it probably began the richer, more insightful, more wise Zig Ziglar. Yeah, 100%. Um, of course, dad is a believer, is a Christ follower. Um, I mean, one of the things I watched and learned is all, that's, all that belief, all that faith, it doesn't spare you. You, you don't get a pass on the grief and the sorrow. Now, the way you journey through it, it's a lot different, right? Because you've got hope. Uh, you've got an eternity to look forward to. Uh, one of the turning points in Dad's journey was he was grieving and missing her. And, it, and, he, and he talks about it in his book, and he says, it's like God told me, God said, hey, you know exactly where she is. You don't have to worry. Mm-hmm. And at the same moment, he realized, but I don't know where my other kids are. The only time I know where my other kids are is when I'm in the room with them. Yeah. And so that was a real turning point. Um, as a believer, you know, eternity is a pretty long time. And so I remember going to uh, Dwayne Owens, who's our, our Ziegler legacy chaplain, right? So we have all of our certified speakers and trainers, and, and he's one of them, and he's, he's our chaplain. And I said to him, um, I don't get Job. You know, in the Old Testament, the book of Job, he, he's a, uh, all appearances, a righteous man. He's got everything going for him. He's got a big family. He's very wealthy. He's got position. And then the devil says, hey, let's see how much he praises God when we take all that stuff away. Mm-hmm. And so then he loses it all. <clears throat> and he goes through that trial. And then in the end, it says God restores him. And he rejoiced. He had more kids to be. And I asked Wayne, I said, I don't get that. I mean, how how could a you know, losing your children and then you have more children. How could that replace the ones that you lost? And Dwayne said, well, what if he never lost them? Hmm. What if he knew that he had eternity with them? Because now he could be joyful on two fronts that he has these new blessings in his life, new relationships, new, new, new family, new kids. And he gets to spend eternity with all of them. That's a whole different perspective on. It is. I'm glad you brought that up though. So if anybody's listening in the Bible, old Testament, 
the book of Job. It's a really hard story. I think it's a hard read. It's very in-depth, very difficult to, to understand. But yeah, at face value, somebody who had it all, lost it all, and as in the story goes, allowed by God, allowed you know, Satan's influence in there, allowed by God for this to be taken away. And that is a difficult thing as well, Tom. I've seen so many people, Christians specifically, who struggle with looking at this hardship, looking at this trauma, looking at this, the, as Susan would say, the bitter, and say, okay, this must be a lesson, right? I'm, I'm being tested. We hear that a lot. And man, that's a difficult place to be too. And I don't know that we can all just say, hey, any hardship we have, it must be a Job experience. You know, this is probably intended because if this is my daughter being abducted and abused, I'm not okay with a God who would, who would ordain that. And I think we get into dangerous theological water with that one. And that's not my intent here, but I just look at the, how we address the traumas, how we address the hardship, how we address to Susan's point, the bitter. And if that bitter is just, it was a difficult, disappointing day, or it was a legitimate tragedy. How do we look at that? How do we frame it does matter. And you're, you're bringing up issues of faith. And I, to me, that's a saving grace on how I deal with trauma outside of that. I'm pretty untethered. Uh, without a faith that there is a sovereign God. But again, you look at it and go, yeah, but that would allow that. And then, and then we get into that discussion. I don't mean for that necessarily, unless we feel like we should go down that road, but how we look at and hold these traumas. I mean, bad things happen. And from a spiritual standpoint, we know Jesus wept and, 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 and I don't know that he ordained everything to happen, but he wept for us in that, but how do we hold that? How, what's the reasoning we look at behind that? And then how do we embrace that journey? And then again, to Susan's point, and then also allow it to heighten the sweetness. And Tom, that's part of, and I talked to her, that's been part of, I, you know, I, I should raise my hand here as we're talking about this discussion. I am the card carrying, just deny the negative. That has been the majority of my journey is I just look at the positive lemonade out of lemons, uh, glasses half full and pretty much deny the pain and the sadness. And I think I've missed out. No, I know I've missed out on a lot of the height of sweetness. That's part of the journey that I am in and embracing right now, which again, that's why I had her on the show, but it does bring into light a lot of those. How do we even look at and hold the, the reason that we put behind that bad thing? Are we just unlucky? Is, is God out to get us? I mean, we know these questions come up, even from people who are staunch believers when it really, when the poop hits the fan, you know, how do we hold the meaning behind that has so much to do, I think, with the perspective of how we go forward, even to your, to the story here, Tom, with Zig and, and your sister, Susan, uh, I had somebody, I think I mentioned this on the show on one of the shows recently, but it was something that I read or heard somebody, somebody talked about, but the idea of uh, my, a, a kid, let's say that, like you said, we never, that sequence, we don't want, we don't want a ch our child to die before we do. If that happens, do I look at that and let it, you know, wreck me. And the concept though, that was given was, could I look at that and say, thank you, God, that I got to have this day, this month, this decade, 46 years with this person, this child of mine, what a gift. Thank you for that as opposed to why did you just take them away from me, God? 
that's a pretty big paradigm shift that's relevant. I, I think that's why it resonated with me. I thought I, I could look at that. Do I just grieve the loss? I shouldn't say or, because that's an either or. Can I grieve the loss, as you said, or alluded to, can I grieve the loss and find gratitude that thank you that I had the opportunity to have this boy, girl, son, daughter in my life? That's an opera. That's a, that's an opportunity. You know, dad's life verse, uh, was Romans eight twenty eight. Mm-hmm. All things work together for good to those called according to his purpose. Well, that's a pretty powerful statement that, um, doesn't give a lot of comfort when you get the phone call. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because how can this be good? And I'll tell you this, uh, you know, dad's books have sold millions and millions and millions of copies, but the book that we get the most heartfelt life changing stories from is confessions of a grieving Christian. Hmm. Because every, you know, you live long enough, that's going to be your experience. You're going to go through unimaginable grief, right? I mean, it's just it's it's what we're called to, um, or allowed to. <laughs> on it's just to being alive, right? Uh, and so, I, I like the the angle is well, how do we how do we get joy out of the ups? <laughs> Because the, the, the more gratitude we have, the more we're grateful for what we have, the, the more we can be present, the more we can just relish the moment, the relationship, the day, the experience. That opens up the other side of it, which is the deeper the grief is going to be when you realize you're not going to have that again. Yeah. Right? And so I do like the, you know, you, it's hard to have one without the other. Um, for me, it's, it's, it's context. And I use a really, really bad thing. I remember when iPods were all the rage and everybody would put all their favorite stuff on their iPod, right. And carry it around and listen to it at any time. And then imagine that somebody invented a new device, but you weren't going to get it until tomorrow. Right. And this new device not only would it have every song that you've ever loved in your life, but it would also automatically know what other songs you would like to listen to and could, could automatically play for you the best song you could hear at that specific moment in time. Hmm. Like it was. And so that's what you have to look forward to tomorrow. And, but today you've got this iPod that's got everything that you put into it. And as you're thinking about this, you drop the iPod and it gets crushed by a car and you can't play it. And then you think, but tomorrow I'll have everything I've ever wanted. Do you really mourn the loss of that iPod? Well, no, because tomorrow you're going to have everything. And to me, um, this is one of my reflections when I start thinking about eternity and what eternity promises 
it doesn't change the fact that I'm going to go through the struggle, but the perspective is, is, Hey, wait a second, you know, tomorrow in the blink of an eye, right? Cause eternity is a long time. And so that's, I remember when we, when we've been through these times, I've said, I don't know how people get through it without faith, family, and friends. And I can't imagine going through tragedy or grief without all three of those. I can't either. And, you know, for anyone listening who does not have a devoted faith in a higher power as you and I do, even there though, I have found people, Tom, and I'm sure you have too, who they may not claim what they have faith in, but they do just have faith. They have faith that it will, if I look at my own life and my upbringing from a career and vocational and business pursuit and whatnot, I had the gift as you did of having parents who pursued an entrepreneurial lifestyle and I got to see them try things and I got to see them fail. I think I'm more grateful for the failures I got to see than the successes. I mean, maybe equally both. I guess I can't say that because they, they never had a failure that did not ultimately redeem. And that's part of the point of what gave me faith as I saw that no matter what happened at the end of the day, we're still going to sit down. There's still food on the table. We're going to talk about what happened at school and what happened at my bike race and you know, whatnot. And life goes on and I got to see that and what a gift that gave me faith that things are going to work out. Things generally redeem it. How often do we all have a story Goodness, and I say this with sensitivity because I'm sure somebody does, but I don't necessarily have stories that I can pull up of, man, this thing happened to this person, and that was it. End of story. They are now wrecked, destroyed, homeless, dead, whatever. Again, I'm sure it happened, but most people, I, I doubt, have that story because they do have faith. They do have family. They do have friends. They did wake up to see another day. They did go forward, and over time, just have faith that things will work out. But if you don't have that, I mean, that is the hard side then of the bitter. I mean, that's why Susan's book is bittersweet. If it's just bitter and we never recover from that, it is not a good story. And can we recover? Can we hold that? Can we have expectation and faith if we don't believe in something greater or just believe things will work out? And if we look at that and think this is it end game, Man, that's a scary place. And that's the hard part of the bitter because we do, we're in a culture right now, mental health, where a lot of people are not seeing the possibility of going through that journey and coming out on the other side. Yep. Um, I've been thinking about and had conversations. Um, so, how did dad, when he's in the middle of the grief, how do you continue on? Right. I mean, because that's a, and and I and I think um, there were three things that really helped Dad, and I think it's a lesson for us all. The first one is he had a very clear uh, understanding of his purpose. I mean, he was very in tune that his gifting was speaking and writing books and communicating that would inspire other people to take action so that they could so so that they could take ownership of their own choices and create the life they wanted right so he knew his purpose he knew that he was here 
to bring value and hope and encouragement to everybody he was around. And so when you have a very, and everybody's purpose, I believe everybody has a unique purpose that's, that's based on who they are, their gifts and talents, experiences, you know, how this life has brought them here. Cause you're only, you're the only you, but we also all have a common purpose, which is to serve our fellow human being, right? It's to help others uh, in a way that moves them forward. Right. And so we all have that common purpose and then we have a unique way in which we go out and do it in the world. And so it doesn't matter what your career is, <laughs> you know, your career could align with your purpose, but you can, you can do two things, right. You can like dad, he said it was making speeches and writing books, but that was just the vehicle that allowed him to share that life-changing information. Your your purpose might be to be an engineer or to work in an organization, but underneath that is that supporting role. Hey, I need to make a difference in the people and serve the people around me, right? So that was one. He had this clear idea of his purpose. Number two is in the middle of the grief, he recognized that his vulnerability and the intensity of what he was going through gave him a different level of connection and compassion. It's like he could see, I remember he could just see people who were on the same path. And you hear about the fellowship of suffering. Um, and, you know, they have, there's a group called, there's a group called grief share and grief share is, um, in fact, they 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 took some of Dad's. They had him come in and film, and they, he shared his own experience with his grief out of Confessions of the Grieving Christian. And this grief share groups, a lot of churches and communities, they'll hold these small groups, and people come in and they just share their grief and they go through the grieving process together. And they see these. That was done 25 years ago, and we still one of my best friends just went through it after he lost his dad. Hmm. And so that made such an impact in him. And so dad knew he knew his purpose and he knew that even when he was at his most vulnerable, that also gave him the best opportunity to connect with someone and, and maybe give them a little bit of hope in the midst of it. And when you're really that raw and that vulnerable uh, other people who are ahead of you on the journey, who've, who've experienced a similar type of grief, and now they're ministering to you or they're, they're walking with you in that, right? You've got a different level of bond and kinship and, and brotherhood. And then the third one uh, that really, that I saw with dad, and I think it's just a great thing, is that um, you in the times of the intense grief and, and you still, life still got to go on, right? You still got to cook dinner. Most people still have to go to work. You, you still got to do the things that create an income or, or whatever it is that there's only, and this is a, 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 a from a faith perspective, this is really a, a um, and it, I think it's just an added advantage. There's only one person that you got to please in that process. And that's God. And so 
if you show up and do it, whether you feel like it or not, knowing that you're moving towards your purpose and you're going to be available to help those in the path, that's a huge thing. And so that's what dad did is even in the midst of his grief, he was still writing and he was still speaking. And the testimonies that came out of that, because he, he connected with people on a different level. He wasn't comparing it to the way it was before this happened. Instead, he was like, I'm just going to go in and do the best I can. And if I, if I talk about a hard thing, I'm going to talk about a hard thing. And so that was a powerful thing. So if you didn't have faith, but you had a higher purpose, right? You knew what your what what your why you're here, right? The difference you want to make, the impact, the legacy you want to leave, and then you dig into all these things that are going on and realize that now you can connect with people in a way that wasn't possible before. And if you just show up and prepare and and do what's in front of you, but you connect better and it's moving you towards your purpose, that'll keep you going. And I'm not at all submitting that we put off dealing with our grief or deny we have it. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about in the midst of the grief, we got to do what we got to do. Yeah. And that's okay. Tom, I appreciate that yeah, purpose, even from a tangible day-to-day aspect. When my son, Caleb, who you know, was first born, he went through significant medical issues, um, had some seizures, ended up with epilepsy, and it was something that continued on for the first uh, decade of his life, a little bit further than that. And I remember acutely being in the hospital, Vanderbilt Hospital in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, I did not do a good job of, of handling the grief, though I remember the times that I broke down and, and wept about it. But then I also remember the day that I also said, look, this is going on and on and on, and I, I, I got to go work. Somebody's got to pay. There's got to be a house. We have faith that Caleb's going to come home, and I want him to have a house to come home to. And I remember leaving the hospital and going out and doing the work that I was doing at the time and coming back because we, we actually slept and lived at the hospital. And... To some degree, I'm, I'm grateful for that, that there were things to do. And not long after that, it was 15 months later, uh, after he first went to the hospital, that we had our second kiddo. And what you say there, I had a purpose there. I couldn't let Caleb's ordeal, not to minimize my involvement with that or minimize my care or love for him, but I have another kid that I can't let be robbed of me as a father because I can't deal with that. So I'm, I'm grateful for the purpose and whatever that may be. But to think that if you know your purpose is to, there are people out there that can use you, that can need you, that you have purpose to serve. What a great way to deal with our, that's one of the, that's one of the, you know, consummate, I don't know if treatments is a fair word, Tom, but uh, perspectives on depression, not a, cure all. I'm not, I'm very sensitive in, in offering that, but I know that there are psychologists that do that. Hey, a way to deal with that is go find somebody else to serve, not to minimize what you're dealing with, but just to sometimes get us into a purpose greater than ourselves. And, you know, in that Tom, and, and maybe as a, as a place to anchor this, you know, we so talk about passions. 
And, you know, Zig Ziglar was a passionate man who was up on stage, passionate about helping people lead fuller lives. You are that man today up on stage doing that in your own way. And as we look at that as a, as a passion, I'm curious with Zig and with you, with your father and with you, how much does it also feel like, I don't know if the, it's a fair word. I use it, but I, I, for lack of a better one, a passion. And it's also a burden. Did you see a sadness in your dad for the plight of humanity that he was devoted to lifting up? And I would ask the same question of you to sometimes, does it feel like there's a, there's a sadness I'm serving out here that I see in the culture. It's not just all happiness. Let's all, you know, make a million dollars and be happy people. Um, you're waking up because there's a burden that you're addressing. Dad had an immense burden and it was really lived out in a sense of urgency. Like the older he got, uh, the more he really understood he had less time to impact people. And his goal was that, that, that a life changing decision would happen, right? That he would communicate something that would be embraced. Somebody would think about take action on, they would see a result. They would see a difference and they'd make a new decision and it would change their life. And it was, you know, you look out at the world, and if your if your goal is to change the world, then it's hopeless, right? Because you can't one person can't do that. But you can you can have that kind of impact on everybody you come across, right? You can have intentionality in the relationships and the communications that you have. You know, those aren't numbers you're looking at; those are people with problems and everything else, and so. Dad had that really that that sense of uh, that burden, um, sadness. Um, I would see him reflect, and he would just shake his head, and he would go, "I just don't understand this." Hmm. And then he would move straight into solution mode. What's the solution? Identify the problem, work on the solution. And I'll be honest, this this. Uh, season for me has been tough because the amount of divisiveness in our, in our world today and the amount of false truth, I call it little T truth that I got from Andy Andrews. Mm -hmm. We talked about on an earlier episode. It's stunning to me. I mean, I just, I, I look at, all, you know, I, I answer all the tough questions in kind of this generic thing. Okay. What advice would give that person the best chance for success? <laughs> yeah. And guess what? I mean, you talked about it earlier. You know, we've got a depression problem. And part of that depression problem in the world is that the culture says we're supposed to be happy. And that we're the only one who can define happiness for ourselves. And so whatever kick we get on that makes us happy, the world applauds us when we go all in because, you know, life is about happiness. And I just believe that's a lie. And you see it over and over again. I mean, 
hey, you, you know what? A, a drug addict might say, well, when I do drugs, I'm happy. Well, then you should do as much as you can. <laughs> no, I'm, I, I go back to the Rabbi Lappin quote, which is the opposite of depression is purpose. purpose. Yeah. And so when we get real, when we start moving towards our purpose, um, and when you do that, okay, if you're, um, if your purpose as a parent is to raise up an adult who's going to make great decisions in life, if that's your purpose, then there's going to be some uncomfortable conversations along the way. Right? If your purpose is to uh, be happy, that's a very self-centered approach. Hey, I'm just going to, you know, let's all just do what makes us happy. And just like uh, the, uh, the opposite, there's a lot of people who believe that their purpose in life is to make other people happy. And they become the doormat and they get stomped on. And well, guess what? That's, that's not your purpose either. Right? What is your purpose? I believe it's to to in, in it's to serve our fellow human being and to solve problems and ultimately uh help them discover their purpose. And when you are on the road to purpose, happiness is the byproduct. Yeah. Right? But grief is on the road too. Yeah. Yeah, if I if my day is focus, the highlight is happiness. I happy is just, that's when I'm having fun. You can't do that all day. And if that means that the times outside of fun, entertainment, whatever that may be, that's fun or play to you, then it means the rest of the day is just existing and putting in the time has a miserable, miserable existence. I mean, dad used to work out and he was telling uh, his trainer at the time, Chris Patterson, he, he said, Chris, I don't like working out. <laughs> Says you don't have to like everything you do, but basically in order for me to fulfill my purpose, I've got to be in good shape. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Hey, Tom, thanks. I, I was really interested to talk to you about you, about your dad, about this view of positivity that we have this. I think we've gotten that mixed up with just happiness. Just try to be happy, think happy thoughts, deny the negative, and that doesn't work out. That doesn't allow us to experience the richness and fullness of life, and that's why Susan Cain wrote the book, Bittersweet, and I was eager to talk to you about it. I hope this allows people to embrace that journey, as you said, is a great, the journey of the daily traumas, the daily things that we grieve, that we miss, the losses, and yet have a purpose and have faith that helps us reconcile those and be able to go forward with may not all be happy, but can we have an abiding joy and abiding peace and abiding faith that helps us to grow greater, grow wiser and more joyful with a lot of happy times and being able to hold the bitter so that we can experience the sweet. Thanks brother. It's always a gift. Thank you. Okay, friends, I trust this gave you food for thought as you deal with the realities of daily life. It's sadnesses and disappointments and losses and letting them also deepen the richness of life's glories and richness. 
Thank you for choosing to tune in to the Self-Helpful Podcast. If you got value, please subscribe, leave a review about this episode, and best off, share something that you learned or heard today with someone else so you both benefit. I sincerely hope I've helped you help yourself. <laughs>